The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So much of this winter and spring, we're going to be thinking about how to respond to the reality of Jesus. What does it mean to respond to Jesus? So we're taking a couple-week break in our study through Hebrews. When we get back into Hebrews 10, all the way pretty much to the end, it's going to be how to respond. How to respond to having Jesus as your priest. As we begin this new year, we're thinking about how to respond. Last week, we looked at the reality of God's revelation to us in creation, in Scripture, in our hearts. How to respond to Him that we would belong to him, that he would form us and change us. And this week, I just thought it was right to, to give a week thinking about how to respond to the Lord in prayer. Prayer, responding in prayer. Now, let's just go ahead and pause and admit prayer can be a tough subject to talk about, right? And the issue is not that anyone's against it. If I took a poll, are you for prayer, against prayer? I'm going to guess it'd be pretty high, like, yeah, we're for prayer. Prayer's good. And yet if I said, so how's your prayer life? If you ask me, so how's your prayer life? It could be better. Have you said that to anybody? It's, it's okay. It's good. Every once in a while, oh, it's great, but then I, I seem to slide back to a mean. We, we, we kind of say it's not what it should be. I think if we're honest, we each have a difficult relationship with prayer. On one hand, especially if we're Christians, we want fellowship with God, the God who's made us. I want to be close to him. I want to hear his voice. I want to get in his presence. Uh, and even, even those who aren't Christians, even I, just, I read stats once about atheists who pray. It kind of blew, blew my mind, but there it is. Uh, we want a connection with the higher power, the one who made us. Uh, but we struggle with it. I mean, in our, in our honest moments, we know we desperately need God. On the other hand, isn't it just so easy to leave prayer on the list of things you should probably do, but you don't ever get to actually committing hard time to it? It just doesn't seem to hit the urgent list sometimes. And then when we pray, we're not, actually, we're, we're not always sure how this is supposed to go. Am I supposed to feel like the highest of elation every time? Am I, am I supposed to just uh, kind of ride euphoria for an hour? What's it supposed to be like? And then when it's difficult or our minds wander or we don't know what to think or we, am I even doing this right? And finally, honestly, here's our, our, our difficult relationship with prayer. Honestly, there's a part of us that doesn't want to pray. We don't want to pray. It takes discipline to pray. It takes work to pray. And then you've got to be exposed to God. Sometimes you don't want to be exposed to God. You don't want to come before him. Um, you've got to face yourself in the light of God. Sometimes you have to face the reality of unanswered prayer. It's painful. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to pray for it again. Sometimes you got to face how God kind of contradicts you. Didn't do what you wanted, tell you something you didn't want to hear. And then, boy, you ask people to come together. Hey, let's pray as a church. Sometimes hard to, people, hard to get people to come to those meetings. It's hard to pray, right? So here, here's my introduction. We're going to think about prayer, and now we all feel guilty about how we don't pray so well. <laughs> I'm just sharing with you some of my honest experience with it as well. I mean, here I am. I, I love to pray. I couldn't, I couldn't live without praying. And yet there's times I have a distance towards praying, or there's times it's just kind of, it floats in the back. I'm not praying like I should. I'm so thankful for this passage. In our text today, the disciples come to this point of clarity. They need to pray, and they feel like they don't know how to pray. And it's, it's amazing because they've grown up in a, a religious society, 
They know about God, they know about his word, and they say to Jesus, we don't know how to pray, teach us. Teach us how to pray. So I'm so thankful that we together can kind of come together again before Jesus and say, will you teach me how to pray again? Will you remind me how to pray? Will you get my mind on how to pray, what prayer can be about? Teach us to pray. So as Jesus teaches his disciples, obviously he gives this wonderful prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Praise God for this. But we just realize he still teaches. He still teaches. And he wants to teach you how to pray. He wants to reteach you how to pray. He wants to remind you how to pray. He wants to invite you to pray again and restore that sense of meaning and, and joy and honor in the reality that, that you can pray and the Lord will hear you. So I want to see three major things with you today. There's a lot to cover. This could easily be a sermon series for a couple months, but we're going to do it all at once. I want to see three major things with you today. Number one, how to pray. Number two, what to pray for. Number three, the attitude of prayer. Number one, how to pray. Number two, what to pray for. Number three, an attitude of prayer. Number one, how to pray. You see it at the beginning of this chapter. Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us. And that's how you pray. You pray with a submissive trust in Jesus Christ. That's how this starts. You pray with a submissive trust in Jesus Christ. These were religious people in a religious context. They don't know how to pray. They need Jesus. They need him to teach them. And we're just reminded. We need to acknowledge we don't make our own way. We don't self-invent this. We need a leader, a teacher, a helper, and his name is Jesus, and he leads us into prayer. There's so many ways he does this. So having a submissive trust in Jesus for prayer, you see him as the ultimate example of prayer, the ultimate example. Did you know, uh, Luke 5, 16 would tell you this, Jesus would withdraw off into desolate places and pray. We learn, we learn something about that, don't we? Uh, Listen, is there a kind of prayer where it's like all day, all, all day long, you say little prayers to the Lord? Are we, that's good, right? Pray without ceasing. That's good. But sometimes that idea keeps us from ever, from ever saying, I'm going to go somewhere and I'm going to pray and only pray. We learn something from Jesus here, don't we? He would withdraw. You think Jesus was a busy man? Think he had a lot on his task list? Save the world. Okay, he's a busy man. Somehow he finds time. Well, let's say it better. No, he makes time. And what does he make time to do? He's gonna make time to pray and he's gonna withdraw. He's gonna go away. So there's a sacrifice here. He's, he's walking somewhere. You know, he's, he likes to go, I relate with Jesus in this way. He likes to go to the mountains and pray. Sometimes they're, far, they're hard to get to, but he, he wants to go somewhere and he wants to pray and be alone with God and he makes time for it. He's going to pray. Why did he do that? Before he calls his disciples, what does he do? He prays before he hits the cross. What does he do? He prays. Do you think Jesus thought he needed to pray? He obviously knew he needed to pray in his incarnation. He needed to pray. He chiseled time to withdraw and to pray. If Jesus needed to pray, do you think you need to pray? Prayer 
J.C. Ryle says, tell me what a man's prayers are and I will soon tell you the state of his soul. <laughs> and the, the first idea of Jesus' example of the one who prays, we see how much he knows he needs to rely on his Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And to me, when I'm like, ah, prayer, it shows me the state of my heart. I, I don't really think I need help. I, re- I don't think I, it's really that worth it. I don't think it's as urgent on my task list as, you know, it's, eh, okay, yeah, prayer, okay. And the first we see as we, as we come humbly submitted to Jesus, we see his example. No, we need to pray. Just, just, it should be one of our most important priorities to set aside time to pray. And I'm saying this, I'm not the best example of doing that myself, but this text reminds me. I hear Jesus saying, come pray, come pray. Another way we wanna have a submissive trust in Jesus is seeing Jesus as our teacher for prayer. You know, so much of this text, it, it exposes, this prayer exposes who we are, who God is, and what we should want in prayer. And, and the Lord's prayer and the priorities it gives, it, it's not always what comes most natural to my heart when I wanna pray. Jesus' first things on his list for what I should pray aren't always the first things on my list when I wanna come pray. And so I, I, I get tested, right? And so I see also that this prayer, it's, it, yes, it's a, it's a pathway for me to come and pray to the Father, but it's also meant to form me. It's, it's meant to mess with me, right? Last week, we looked at God's word, and, and the Lord wants your heart. He, he wants you. He wants to form what you love and how you think and how you live, and we see this prayer doing the same thing, adjusting us, correcting us, showing us what we should love, what we should love more, what we don't love, what we love too much. And so we wanna come submitted to Jesus in prayer saying, help me love what you want me to love. And that's what so much of this prayer is. Help me see you the way I'm supposed to see you. Help me to see myself the way I'm supposed to see myself. Form me as I pray, teach me even as I pray the principles of the Lord's prayer. So we submit, we've come with a humble submission to Jesus as our example for prayer, our teacher for prayer. Also, we come to Jesus as our foundation for prayer. And Christian, you may have forgotten, this is one of, as Habib said earlier, this is one of the greatest privileges you have as a Christian. Listen to what Jesus says. He said to them, when you pray, say, and what's the first word in Luke 11, one, or excuse me, 11 verse two, what's the first word? First word of our prayer. When you pray, say, Father. Father. First word. When you pray, say, Father. You know, some say, well, God is everyone's father. Well, okay, there's a, there's a way in the Bible in the sense that God has created everyone, sustains all life. Okay, there's a sense. But, but no, not, that's not what this is saying. There is certainly a way he is not everyone's father. Uh, we, we remind, we're reminded of what the Bible says about us. Ephesians 2.3 is one example. Here's Paul talking about himself. He's talking about the Christians. He's talking about me. He's talking about you. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of, yeah, who, who's your daddy? Without Jesus, okay? Wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's sober, Right? I didn't love God, I didn't want him as a picture of our sin. I didn't love God, I didn't want him, I've got these other desires replacing him. 
just following what feels right, what I want, self-oriented, unrighteous, and because God is just, he's got holy wrath towards me, and, and, and everybody's in that boat, like the rest of mankind. We all start here. So, so without someone acting on our behalf, God is judge, okay? But then you see what Jesus has done. You see what Jesus has done. The eternal son of God came to take on flesh and he lived a perfect life, pleasing to the father in every way. And he went to the cross as a substitute. He on the cross paid every ounce of penalty I deserve for my sin and rebellion. And he did that for you, all who trust in him. Your sin's paid for. And he rose from the dead in victory. He reigns now at the right hand of the father. And here's the promise. John 1 verse 12. If you will trust yourself to Jesus, repent of your sin, put your faith in him. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. So just sit right here. This is the gospel. Do you deserve to be called a daughter of God? You deserve to be called a son of God. I do not, and you do not. But somebody gave you the right. He gave you the right. And the beauty of this is the, the qualification is not in you. You did not earn the right. You did not become, get, get to this level of goodness where, where God's finally like, well, okay, I'll let you. No, no, no. You, you had no hope. And Jesus gave you the right through his life, death, and resurrection. If you are his, you have, you have the right to be a, called a child of God. And do you see this first step in this prayer? What are you remembering in the first breath of prayer? You're remembering the gospel and who you are before God because of Christ alone. And so I just want to throw this out at you. It is totally okay if you say, dear God, I don't, I'm not legalistic, okay? Dear God, all right, I get it. But isn't it a little different to say, Heavenly Father? Why is it different? Because you have remembered the nature of your relationship to this one to whom you are praying. And the entire Lord's Prayer echoes with this theme. You don't just come to a vague God. Through Christ, Jesus says when you pray, you call him Father changes everything. Changes everything. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you've been adopted as, his child, as, as the Father's child, and you are loved. Doesn't that change how you pray? I think we kind of sneak in. The, don't you try to sneak in the back door sometime? In prayer, you're like, well, if, you, if you're still okay with me, I thought I'd throw out a few requests. That's works religion. Are you a Christian or not? Okay. If you don't belong to Jesus, despair. You've got worse problems than trying to pray right, pray right now. Okay. You're under judgment. Come to Jesus. Okay. If you are a Christian, walk into the living room. It's your father. And the difference is Christ. See what kind of love the Father's given to us. So as we pray, it's the context of God is our Father. I love what J.I. Packer says about the doctrine of adoption. 
Look what J.I. says. Adoption is a family idea. Conceived in terms of love, viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. So then Packer says, closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater. Amen? Amen. Prayer begins with a humble trust in Jesus, our example, our teacher, our foundation. Because in Jesus, you come to God as Father. Isn't that amazing? Friends, you need to be set free, some of you, in praying. You think, I can't pray. It's because you haven't applied the gospel to your prayer. If you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, guess what? That's how you pray. Our Father. Wow. Wow. A few things we learn, right? We're going to see this throughout. In Matthew, it's our Father. When you play, it's, it's plural. You all pray. Our Father. You see what we share together in prayer? We have a relationship with the Lord. We have a relationship with one another as brothers and sisters. And it all comes from the submissive trust in Jesus. Another thing we learn is, do you see how you're learning the presence of God before you're learning the provision of God? Don't we want to flip that sometimes? Hey, there's a time to do emergency prayer, okay? A lot of time to do emergency prayer. Help me now. I need help. Some of you are right there right now. It's good. Pray it. But remember, remember, this is a relationship. It's not a vending machine. There's a father who's wiser than you are, and he loves you more than you know. And so we pray. How do we pray? A submissive trust in Jesus. He's our example, our teacher, and our foundation. He gets us in the room as children of God. All right. Second thing about prayer. We're going to see what to pray for. And there's five requests that are going to come up. But I just want you to notice that Jesus teaches prayer by giving this kind of theological pattern What's interesting to me is that it's truth made personal. Okay, so if we, if we again, if we took a poll, uh, you know, doctrine test, what do you believe about God? How many of you believe God is Father? Yes, okay. How many of you believe God is holy? Oh, yeah, that's what the Bible says. Jesus is king, do you believe this? Yes, check. Do you believe that God provides? Yes, you believe he forgives and that he leads? Yes, biblical truth. True or false? True, he does this. Good, now let's move on. no. Pray them. Pray them. Prayer, biblical prayer, is truth made personal. I believe God is Father. I have this doctrine. You're my Father, and I want to be with you. That's different. I believe God is holy. Show me your holiness. That's, that's different. It's truth made personal. Gary Millar says, prayer is calling on God to come through on his promise. God has spoken in the word, and prayer is, let me see it, let me feel it, let me, let me watch it, let me know it. And this is so important. Jesus shows us we cannot hide, we, we cannot separate biblical truth from personal prayer. If you separate truth from prayer, you're going to be lopsided, okay? On one hand, some of us are theologically oriented, that's probably me. Do you love 
So, so we've got, we, we know what the Bible says, our propositions about God from the Bible. We love these things, we believe these things. But do you love the God of the theology? I mean, you know it really so you can know him, who he is. And it's easy, isn't it, to love facts and never pray to the one the facts display to you? Do you love him? On the other hand, if you separate prayer from truth, what are you looking for? Feelings, visions, a leaning, a leading. Without, without biblical truth, prayer just becomes this, I don't know, I don't want to go there. It's, it's chaotic. It's baseless. Who am I praying to? How do I do this? No, pray the word. Pray the word. Full minds with God's truth. Hearts knowing and loving the living God. Isn't that what the Lord's Prayer is? Doctrine come to life. I'm praying the truth. I want to see it, know it, taste it, watch it, do it. So then Jesus says, when you pray, five core requests. Show us, rule us, provide for us, forgive us, lead us. Again, each one of these could easily be an entire message. So we're going to go shorter than we might like on these things. But the first one, show us. Verse 2, when he, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Here's the first request, hallowed be your name. Let's unpack this a little bit. What is God's name? It's not something he keeps in a drawer, right? It's not separate from him. It's a, it's a revelation of who he is and what he's like and what he loves and what he's doing. It's his character, it's his person, his name. So now we're praying, Father, hallowed be your name. So Lord, your reputation how we know you, how people know you, your name, describing who you are, may it be hallowed or may it be holy would be another way to say it. So this sounds a little strange the first time you say it. Holy be your name. So, so are you praying that God will one day become holy? We're rooting for you, God, you know. <laughs> you can make it. No, it's absolutely blasphemous. It's blasphemous. He is eternally holy. That's who he is. He is set apart. He's distinct. He needs nothing. He's eternal, sufficient. He's righteous. He hates evil. He's morally perfect. He's full of steadfast love. He's faithful. He's holy. The issue is not the holiness of God's name. It's that you and I don't see and taste the holiness of God's name. That's why the first prayer is, show us. Show me who you are, God. Let me really taste who you are. Show me how holy you are. Let my heart see you as holy and fear you and love you and honor you. I want your name to be seen as holy. And then the collective aspect of this prayer. Let my church, let my family, my wife, my kids, my friends, let, let my church see you as holy. Let, let the world see you as holy. You realize that's a problem, right? The world doesn't see him for who he is. They don't see him. Hallowed be your name. Be seen. Be valued. Be loved. Oh, you start praying like that, and now just the whole like culture and environment of your prayer just changed, didn't it? Because it became God-centered and God-heavy. 
and God drenched, and you're now, oh, I'm talking to a holy God. Wow, it's amazing I can be here at all. And this is the one who's listening to me. Oh, it's gonna change how you pray. He came in like, Lord, I really need this, all this stuff. God's holy. You're like, oh, I kind of need that in a way different than I thought at first. First prayer, let me see, let us see, lift our eyes. Lift our eyes when we pray to show us that God is the hero and the focus of the story and not me, not you. He is, hallowed be your name. Show us, second prayer. When you pray, say, rule us. Rule us. And I'm getting that from the phrase, your kingdom come. Rule us, be king. So we remember that our God reigns and Jesus is his king. Read, read Psalm 2, he shall reign forever and ever. Read Revelation, he shall reign forever and ever. He reigns over the nations now. He's enthroned now. I know we don't see it explicitly. Hebrews mentions this, doesn't it? We saw it. We don't see everything subjected to his feet right now. There's so much rebellion. There's so much chaos. But the kingdom is growing and one day Jesus will return and oh, we will see it. We will see it. And so now that you've come to God as your father through Christ and you've seen more of who he is as holy, now what do you want? Let the kingdom come now. I want Jesus to be in charge now of everything. And it's easy to look outside first. I challenge you to look inside first. That's the core way the kingdom grows, changing hearts. What did Jesus say to Nicodemus? You wanna see the kingdom? You must be born again. You must, you must have a heart surgery of new desires, new wants, where Jesus is your king. Remember what we read in Psalm 19? I'll just reference it real quick. Let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Who does he want to be king over the way he feels about life? over what he says, be king over me. And you'll find you have work to do, don't you? Is there any foreign lands for the kingdom to conquer in your mind and heart? I dare, I dare say there is. Let your kingdom come. But of course, it's more than that. Let your kingdom grow in this world. Let it grow in this world. You're praying for conversions. You wanna see the gospel go to the nations. You want missionaries to thrive. You want churches planted. You want opportunities to share the gospel in your own life. Don't you start thinking about friends and family now? Let your kingdom come and let it come to them and them. And then you're thinking, and use me in that. I'm afraid I don't know how to do this. I give up. I'm self-righteous. I'm angry. Use me in this to share the gospel. Let your kingdom grow. And then you're praying, aren't you, aren't you starting to pray for your, your city, your neighborhood, your state, your country, you start to lament and grieve all the ways we don't see the kingdom come. Corruption, unrighteousness, blah, 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 etc. Destruction. You see, in our cultural trends, our leaders, our policies, our practices, our values, education, everything, and you start to pray, oh Lord, bring your kingdom here. And you start to think, what does the kingdom look like in this aspect of life? What's it look like for that aspect of life? Let your kingdom come. And then maybe you start to think, how can I participate? What could I do? How could I serve somehow in my city? How could I lead somehow? How can I speak for truth? 
How can, how can I be an example of the picture of Christ and let people see his kingdom in me and us? Let your kingdom come, Lord. Boy, it's just a, you could pray this all week long. And so you just scratch the surface, right? Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. We gotta pray this. We're praying it for ourselves. We're praying it for our world, our community. And we're also praying it for Jesus' return. How does Revelation end? The last book in the Bible ends with a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. Paul, in his last letter, says, uh, I fought the fight to finish the race. I'm ready. Because Jesus is going to come for all those who've longed for his appearing. Do you long for the return of Jesus? That's a prayer request right there, because some days you have to say, you know what, Lord, I'm kind of longing for lots of other things and not that. Do you see how this prayer begins to form you? Lord, set my heart on Jesus' return. Set my heart there. Let your kingdom come. All right, how do you pray? Submissive trust in Jesus. He brings you in as a child of God. Then we begin these requests. Show us your holiness. Rule us, let your kingdom come. And now we get to provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that interesting? Provision came forth. It came after delighting in God's presence. It came after praying for God's purposes. Now it's provision. Do you think that's important? Now again, if you're coming to the Lord in prayer and you've got an emergency need and your heart's exploding, go ahead and pour out your heart. <laughs> Ask for what you need. It's okay, it's good. There are Psalms like that. But look at this, these principles for prayer. After you've set your heart on God's presence with you as his father through Christ, and now you've prayed his purposes, it just changes the framework, doesn't it? The atmosphere of prayer, and now you pray for provision. Give us this day our daily bread. You think this is about food? Sure, it's about food, okay? The people of Jesus' day, lots of people in the world, they'd like to eat today. Provide for me. And then we get a hint every once in a while, if you read world history, you see some trends. Don't you think it takes divine providence to have our grocery stores have uh, food on the shelves and us be able to afford them? Isn't that God's kindness that this works? Provide for us. Provide for us. But isn't it about more than food? And doesn't Jesus say that life is more than food and clothing? I mean, you need things. And especially where we live, food's, food's not what we need the most. Not, not physical food. All these spiritual, relational wisdom needs that we have. Provide for me, Lord. Provide for me. Give me what I need. Give us each day our daily bread. What does that show you about, hmm? Does it say, give me today all the bread I'm gonna need the rest of my life? Because that'd be nice, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to worry. In fact, you wouldn't even have to trust anymore. Oh, that's why he does it that way. <laughs> give me what I need today. Give me what I need today. So you see this reliance on the Lord I mean, if you look at your day sometimes, this is, why you, this is why you should get up and read your Bible and pray before your day and look at what you need. Do you need him to do that project well at work? 
Do you need him to be kind and loving to the person you cannot stand? Do you need him for endurance to keep going when you're tired? Do you need him to help kick off all these excuses of self-pity that won't let you work for his kingdom? Give me what I need. And he does. And then in the midst of this prayer, you know, so many things pop up. Thanksgiving will pop up, won't it? Hasn't God given you what you need and so much more so many times? Thank you. Then generosity will pop up. Because what did you just pray? Your kingdom come. And then you're probably thinking, and I got to do something in that. And give me what I need. And now what's some of the stuff that you need? You need stuff to give to the kingdom. Matthew 6, what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. I think it was Alistair Begg I heard say, God seems to kind of be saying, you take care of my stuff, I'll take care of your stuff. Sort of, kind of. Emphasize my kingdom, I'll take care of you. So there's a, there's a thankfulness, there's a generosity with, good, with what God gives us. There's also an honesty, an honesty. Friends, do you ever feel like something in your heart or in your life is just too small or too trivial or too something for God to care about it so you don't bring it to him in prayer? Just realize when you do that, you diminish the eternal sufficiency of God. See, being too busy, that's a problem God doesn't have because you're too busy because you're weak and you can only do so much, right? Now, I want you to think I'm too busy because that makes me seem important, right? Then we feel that way sometimes. How are you? Oh, busy. Wow. He's, he's, really, he's really humming the train. Come on. Being too busy? It's because you're weak. God's strong. Is he ever too busy? Is he like, I can't balance all the plates? Never. Which means, what should you do with your need? I love Psalm 62, Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. And what's this next invitation? This is God's word to you. Pour out your heart before him. If you can envision your heart with all its gold and all its sludge and all its concern, and God's right here, your father, and he's like, come on, go ahead, just give it to me. And you're like, you don't want to see what's in here. I already see it. But you won't love me anymore if you, uh, Jesus already paid for it. Pour it out. All your regret, all your fears, your bad habits, your failures, your weakness, your anxieties, your concerns. It's like, this is how I feel about this, and this is how I feel about that person. This is how I'm wondering about this, and I just don't know. Pour it all out. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It's when you find that God is a refuge for you, you can grow in being a refuge for other people. And you can do that because he provides. So you're thankful, you're generous, you're honest, you're trusting him. You're focusing on mainly today. That doesn't mean don't plan ahead. It doesn't mean don't save. It doesn't mean don't be wise. Of course, there are plenty of places in the Bible that say to do that. But give us this day our daily bread. If he's given you enough for today, thank you, Lord. And tomorrow, what will we pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Do you see the kind of fellowship God wants with you? Imagine you came into the devotional room on Monday morning at 6 a.m. You're like, I'm here to pray, Lord, and I want you to give me everything I need for the entire week. And then Tuesday, I can sleep in. Because I already got it, right? And Wednesday, I'm good. I'm still rolling on Monday's prayer, man. Thursday, I'm good. No, why does he say every day? You see what he wants? Everyday fellowship. 
every moment leaning on him. Show us, rule us, provide for us, forgive us. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. It's a huge emphasis in how Jesus tells you to pray, isn't it? Did you hear those strong words that you said at the end of the Matthew prayer? And forgive us like we forgive others, because if, if we don't forgive others, we, we sh- we're not forgiven by you. Did you hear that? It's emphasized in Luke as well. How much of your urgent prayer list is, I better forgive these people. Lord, show me the grudges in my heart. Show me what's lurking in there from this person and that person and that occasion. Now, just the idea of forgiveness deserves some time. It doesn't mean when you forgive somebody else that you're saying what they did wasn't raunchy or evil or wicked. That's not what you're saying. Sometimes people are slow to forgive because it feels like you're making an excuse for what was done. That's not it at all. It's not it at all. You're looking to the gospel, okay? Did God make any excuses for what you've done when he forgave you of all your sins? No, he poured out full wrath on Jesus. He called it what it was. It was evil. It was wretched. And that's why Jesus went to a cross. And he's forgiven you completely by grace alone, through faith alone. And if you know that, that's why there's this teeter-totter here. This is why Jesus can say, if you won't forgive, you're not forgiven. Because if you really knew the cost paid, and the complete forgiveness given to you, there's no way you could refuse to forgive someone else. Because if, if we refuse to forgive someone else, aren't we kind of saying that other sins against me are worse than my sins against God? How dare you? How dare I say this? No, no, no. If you've celebrated your complete forgiveness, Lord, forgive us of our sins. You're gonna forgive others. I appreciate this too. Uh, listen, Jesus is talking to his, he's talking to his disciples. Aren't they already forgiven? Think about, think about your uh, theology on salvation here, right? The moment you put your faith in Christ, justified, right? Perfectly righteous forever. It's eternal, totally forgiven, true? But before God, you're standing totally forgiven. So question, why am I praying that he'll forgive me if I'm already forgiven? there's a legal aspect to forgiveness and there's also a relational aspect to forgiveness if i'm a jerk to my wife i can tell i've hurt her i'm i got a faithful wife i'm not worried she's going to be like i'm not your wife anymore i'm not worried about that at all i have no fear of this at all but i should still be like i'm sorry will you forgive me i'm not doing that so she'll become my wife again she's already my wife i'm doing it because i want to enjoy fellowship again i want to be close again Isn't there an aspect of this with your relationship with God? Look what he wants you to pray every day. Lord, I sinned against you and I'm sorry. And then name it explicitly because it's a distance in fellowship, right? You didn't lose your salvation and gain your, no, 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 no. You're saved, once saved, always saved. But there's a fellowship aspect. Lord, I sinned against you and I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? And he will and he does. And you remember the gospel and then you think, Lord, show me, show me who I'm just, I'm bitter towards. I'm angry at them. They said this, they emailed this. Friends, I dare you to ask God to show you who you're still mad at like eight years later because they came across wrong. They said it wrong. 
They didn't treat your kid in the right way. They did something, and you're still like, well, that person, that's because they, mm-mm. You got anybody like that? Come on. Mm, do you, can you believe they, mm? And you feel, you feel righteous and like holding this in your pocket. It's like you deserve to be mad at them for what they did. We deny the gospel when we do that. So the only way you're doing this mess, because I know it's hard, right? And some of the things some people have done to us were beyond, beyond words, wicked. I'm not saying you become best friends with them. But you gotta forgive, right? Somebody once said unforgiveness is like uh, hoping somebody else dies and then drinking the rat poison. You heard that one? Doesn't serve you to not forgive. Doesn't help you to not forgive. You can't grow if you won't forgive. Forgive. Forgive because Christ has forgiven you. And the only way you can really do that is if you pray for it. (laughs) Do you have the muscle strength to just forgive when you're really hurt? I don't. Pray for it. God, help me to forgive them as you have forgiven me. And then just decide it. I forgive them, Lord. I let it go. I forgive them. Last request, lead us, lead us. Lead us not into temptation. Well, what does this mean? It's, it's knowing that as you go about your day, you're gonna have every chance to sin, that you still have a flesh aspect in your heart, you like sin, that you have a spiritual enemy who wants to draw you to sin, and you know that war's coming every day, and you're praying, like Psalm 23, lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. God, come near me and help me not to sin. Help me not to walk into places that just suck me right into sin. Protect me, hold me, keep me, lead me not into temptation. Help me not to deny you, to turn from you. Help me to still see that you're holy and want your kingdom to come. You know, it's interesting. um, That night before Jesus was arrested, he took his disciples to a garden, right? And uh, what did he do? What did he tell him to do? Pray. And what was he doing? Praying. And uh, who among them actually prayed that evening? <laughs> At least for very long, right? Jesus prayed. His disciples fell asleep. You know, when Jesus told them to pray, he said, rise and pray that you may not fall into temptation. They fell asleep. And when he prayed, he sweat drops of blood. In the end, he said, your will be done. And when the moment of trial came, who stayed and who ran? The one who stayed was the one who prayed. Pray that you will not fall into temptation and pray for one another. Have you seen the community aspect in all this? It's our father. It's our passions. It's our needs together. It's our relationships. It's our holiness. Pray for one another. Pray together these principles. Another quote from J.C. Riley said, he loves me best who loves me in his prayers. He loves me best who loves me in his prayers. So we've seen how to pray, submissive trust in Jesus, what to pray. Show us, rule us, provide for us, forgive us, lead us. Finally, the attitude of prayer. In verses five to eight, Jesus tells an amazing story. It would have had serious traction in the first century. These are not rich people. They usually live in in one room, one room houses. I've seen them when I get to travel, right? One room houses and there are like seven kids in there, probably a, a pet or something. And then if you have any children, young children, you know it's a miracle of God to finally get everyone asleep. 
Imagine putting them all in one room and they're all asleep. And if you wanna commit high crimes against humanity, you come and wake us up, right? Well, that's the story Jesus is telling. But there's also another value in that first century. It's a value of hospitality. If somebody comes to your house, you must, you must, you must show generous hospitality. You must. And so in, a, in, a more, in, a, in an era with more poverty, if somebody comes to your house and you can't feed them, you have to feed them. You can't just go, oh, sorry, I can't feed you. No, you have to feed them. So you go over to your friend's house, knock, uh, I need some bread. That's the story Jesus is telling. And, and the dude's like, bro, I just got everybody asleep. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Go away. I don't care about your hospitality problem. My toddlers are sleeping. Right? Y'all know. I need the bread. I need the bread. And then in the Jesus story, he says, verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. Because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Fine. It's a crazy example because Jesus is telling you to come to the holy God of the universe like this. God is saying to you, nag me. It's amazing. Why? Because he's already given you his roadmap for prayer. He wants you to want what he wants as much as he wants it. Show me yourself. Your kingdom come. No, I mean it. I really want it. Your kingdom come. I mean it. I really want it. Forgive me. I mean it. I really want it. Lead me. No, I mean it. I really want it. Pray with impudence. Nag. I want it. Because God then shows you, and this goes back up to the beginning of the prayer. Our first word was Father. And so we're remembering here in 9 to, 9 to 13 who this is. Amazing promise from Jesus. I tell you, ask. It'll be given to you. What? The winning lottery ticket. No. A relationship with your father. A greater knowledge of the holiness of God. The growth of the kingdom. Daily provision. The ability to forgive. Uh, safety from temptation. That will be given to you if you ask and you seek and you knock. Because of who our father is. I love how Jesus talks to the disciples here. You guys like to give good gifts to your kids, he says to them, right? And, oh, man, we all know this. We love, we love to give that special gift to somebody we love, especially our kid. Oh, he's, this is going to thrill him. We mention it. Yay, there's celebration. You're just, oh, the joy. And then Jesus says, if you, being evil, love to give good gifts to your kids, is the Father ever, uh, is the Father in heaven heaven ever really impressed with my generosity towards my own children? Because it's nothing compared to his. I'm evil. He's good. And he loves to be generous to his children. Come and ask. Keep asking because he's a good, generous father. My son asked for a fish. Will I give him a snake? Now, in our context, I might actually give him a snake. But it... <laughs> It would be like one in an aquarium, right? In this context, it's, no, it would be dangerous. It would destroy him, right? It'd be a poisonous serpent. So is God going to be like, hey, I'm really good, and then in the end, just, just ruin you? Is he ever going to do that? Does it feel like it sometimes? In his discipline? It does. 
But this promise is he's a good, 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 generous, kind, good. He's a good father. He gave Jesus for you. He's a good father to you. Verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the heavenly father give? And here it is, the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him. All of a sudden you see the the trinity of this prayer. Who's teaching you? Jesus. And he's brought you near through his life, death, and resurrection. And who's he calling you to talk to? The Father. And who is it that enables you to love and trust Jesus? And who, who pours out the love of God into your heart so that you say, Abba, Father, who does that? The Spirit. Who is it who shows you the glory of the Father so you rejoice in him? Who is it that enables the growth of the kingdom? Who is it that does all of these things? It's the very Spirit of God. And if you pray for these things, in the name of Jesus, with impudence, God will give you his Spirit to accomplish these things. Isn't it beautiful? So what is Jesus saying? Are you hearing? How does he want you to respond to him? Pray. Pray. Pray hard. Pray with impudence. Pray knowing you have a good father who loves to bring you in so that you will pray. Pray with submissiveness to Jesus. Pray these purposes of God as he's given them and know that he hears you and he answers. And then as we pray, as we pray, we'll see what he does and we'll give him glory. Amen. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you for being a father like this. You, you want to spend time with us. You want to have us leaning on you every day. You want to form us to love what we should love. You want to show us yourself. You want to grow the kingdom in and through us. You're going to provide for us. You're going to help us forgive because we're forgiven. You've given us the very Holy Spirit. Lord, let all of this just combine to motivate us to pray. Let us set aside time to pray, to seek you according to your word. Let us come together to pray, formally and informally. Let us seek your face, Lord, with this, with this uh, endurance, with this stubbornness, according to your will, Lord, so that we will love you all the more, that will be formed by you as you desire, and we'll see you glory in ourselves, in the world, through your work. And ultimately, we pray, Lord, let Jesus come back. Bring him back soon so that we can know our Father, uh, not by faith, but by sight, see the face of Jesus, to be in your presence, to be healed, to be saved. Come back soon. Let your kingdom come. Until then, keep it growing in us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.